we do have stories. A part of my story is to sort of segue into the message. And by the way, Bruce, you didn't take up any of my time. Don't worry about that. Um, I, always ha- I always have next week too, you know, so it works the same. <laughs> part of my story is I can be a distracted person. I'm easily distracted, which is why I find that I value a faith community and worship so much. I get, stra- I get distracted through the week. I get distracted through the year. I get distracted by things outside of, 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 of life, by, by cultural narratives, which maybe don't always serve me well or serve my spiritual journey well. So I need a faith community and I need worship to ground me and to, to, to recenter my life. And I say that to say that, that Easter really snuck up on me. I don't know why, but it did. Maybe it's because January felt like it was 50 days and February felt like it was 12 days. Then all of a sudden March is here. And next thing I know, here comes Easter. And so I'm doing all this planning. I'm doing all this thinking about Easter Sunday and, and, and casseroles and sunrise services. And then over the course of the last two days after we got back from our trip, I began to really be called to think about the cross about Good Friday, about what all that means. And that's where I am this morning, and I want to share a little bit about that. The symbol of the cross. You know, it's it's a universal symbol. It means many things to many folks. Uh, During Jesus' ministry, it was a, a tool of execution used by the Roman Empire. Think about electric chair. Think about the needle in the arm. That was what it was to them. It was reserved for the lowest of the low in society. The Romans used it as a symbol uh, for execution or a a, a means of execution, but they also used it as a symbol to remind everybody this is who is in charge. So as you walked along the roads, you would see crosses erected with people on the crosses to remind them that, that if everyone just behaves and keeps the peace, this won't happen to you. So in many ways, it was a symbol of fear. It was a symbol of threat. But then for others, the cross is a symbol worn around the neck. It's a symbol sometimes tattooed on their arm or their leg or some other parts of the body. Some people give the sign of the cross after they're done praying. This past Wednesday, when we were leaving California, we, we, Linda and I, we took off from a small airport, uh, Burbank, California. And as we were uh, ascending and making our way up out of the valley and over the mountains, I... I heard the guy across the aisle from me murmuring. And I looked over and he was, had his eyes closed and he was praying and, and praying really quickly. And after he got done praying, he gave the sign of the cross like this, which my next thought was, I appreciate the prayers, but I really need to ask this guy if he knows something we don't. And is there something the whole plane needs to know? But I was just intrigued to see his devotion to that prayer and his, his praying as we took off and giving the sign of the cross And then he seemed to relax and pulled out his paper and started reading again. Early friends, when I bring people into the meeting room here to show them around, the first thing they notice is what? There's no symbols, there's no banners, there's nothing on the walls here that would indicate any kind of symbol to a cross or any kind of religious symbol. And that isn't because Quakers feel the cross is unimportant. On the contrary, early friends, early Quakers believed that there was this inward cross. 
that needs to be experienced. And it, it represents the transformative power of God, this inward spiritual experience of crucifixion and resurrection in which, as they would say, the evil in a person's heart is put to death and new life is born and raised up in the person. So it's often this experience of the inward cross that many early Quakers came to experience what they found to be the reality of the outward cross, suffering and persecution, and often for them, time in prison because of their protest and resistance against the early Church of England. So the cross is many things to many people, and and it means many things to many people. Everything from jewelry to making sure we have a good takeoff to making sure that my life is transformed. It's an important part of the biblical story of reconciliation and restoration for our lives and all of creation. And one could say it is, the cent- it is central to the whole salvation story. And we can't hardly talk about resurrection unless we talk about the cross. One of his blog posts, author and pastor Brian Zahn, he writes about what he calls the absurdity of the cross. And this is what he has to say. Who is the greatest conqueror in history? Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Robert E. Lee, George Patton, Hannibal, Napoleon? No, he says it's Jesus Christ. And then he writes this, I insist this is so. I do so because I am a Christian and this is what Christians believe. That at the cross, Christ conquered all the powers of evil and ushered in the reign of God and the rule of the kingdom of heaven. And yes, the government which Jesus brought to power through the cross eventually conquered the Roman Empire. And in the end will rule the nations. And at the cross, Jesus won the world as his own possession. And this is in the process of becoming a fully visible reality. The kingdom of Christ has now stood for 2,000 years. And it has changed and is changing the world. And those who have pledged allegiance to Jesus Christ and confess that he is king number in the billions. And this far surpasses the conquests of Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Robert E. Lee, George Patton, Hannibal, or Napoleon, or anyone else you care to name. And then he adds this. And how did Jesus Christ win his great victory and become history's greatest conqueror? Not by the conventional means of amassing an army and killing enemies but by dying on a Roman cross. It's absurd, ridiculously unreasonable or incongruous. The cross is absurd, but it is an absurd victory. I think this is the Apostle Paul, too, when he wrote to the Corinthians, quote, it is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. And that is why Paul could simply say, we preach Christ crucified. It is absurd. It seems foolish to those who feel very intelligent. It seems foolish to those who feel very elite. But it is that very act, Paul writes, and everyone down through the ages, that has changed history in a profound way. And so the cross attracts many, but it repulses some. The cross is this powerful reminder of transformation. At times, it's been a symbol of hate. And the cross is to some no more than a piece of jewelry, but to some, it's the very essence of their faith. But what we do know is this, that Jesus' ministry and calling ended up on a cross. And what we do know is this, that for Jesus, it was less a symbol, but an instrument of execution. And what we do know is this, that those who claim to follow Jesus, carrying our cross, And experiencing, if you will, 
and inward crucifixion is part of that journey. In his letter to the Colossians that uh, Dan read earlier, I'll reread a portion of it. Paul references the cross, quote, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. And when he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he exposed them to a public disgrace by leading them in a triumphant parade. See, I think the cross in many ways is a mystery, and it's not a mystery in the sense of a secret we can never know, but it is a mystery in the sense of something beautiful that defies rational explanation. It defies something that even a pastor can sum up in 15, 20 minutes. It's it's a mystery that defies all of that, but it is this transformative message. But even in its beautiful mystery, we catch glimpses of this message, and here's a couple glimpses I want to give us this morning. First is this. The cross is, Paul's own words, first a message of forgiveness. In fact, these are the very words Jesus utters from the cross as he is dying, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus did not pronounce retribution. He didn't promise payback. He didn't remind them of karma and how this is going to come back and get them. He offered forgiveness. He offered it in such a way that those he forgave did not even, he didn't even require that they be fully aware of what they were doing. He didn't even say, let me tell you what you've done. He simply said, forgive them for they know not what they do. How many times as a parent do we tell our kids, now did you know what you did? You know what you've done. Even in that case, that wasn't even part of the equation. It's this message for all of us that 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 we tend to live under this crushing load of shame, guilt, and failure. Paul uses the language of debt and how the forgiveness of the cross destroys the debt. Nothing feels more crushing to someone than financial debt. We we want to get out from underneath it. We want to erase it. We We would gladly have someone remove it for us. And so for those that live under this crushing debt of shame and guilt, the message is it's gone. That's what Paul writes. It's no more canceled. You owe God nothing to try and pay off that debt. God has given you everything. In love. And the clearest picture of God we have is in Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus calls out to God and is God, and in that moment and for the rest of eternity, offers forgiveness for all of creation. Even if we don't know what we need to be forgiven for, we are forgiven. And if the cross stands, Central in anything, it is this, the message of God, the message of the kingdom is forgiveness and reconciliation for us and for all of creation. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. But the cross is also a message of, of, uh, secondly, of what I would use Paul's words, disarmament. See, at the cross, Paul writes this. God, quote, disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. You see, through the cross and through Jesus, Jesus willingly gave up his life in love and forgiveness. And the powers of violence, the powers of hate, the powers of vengeance, and the powers of retribution are disarmed. They're basically disarmed because they don't know what to do at that point. What do you do when someone willingly gives your life up in love? 
What do you do when you when somebody willingly gives their life up in forgiveness? What do you do when somebody willingly gives up their life so others can be reconciled? The powers of violence and hate and retribution have no response to that other than to disarm. They have no power, not then and not now. And at that moment, creation becomes a different place. It becomes a place in which the possibility exists that those who choose to love, those who choose to forgive and practice reconciliation will always disarm the powers that choose to hate, hurt, and malign. And it was at the cross that God disarmed all the worldly powers of their ability to manipulate, control, and rule. And God literally, literally disgraced them by showing how love and forgiveness ultimately win. And how love and forgiveness are much more powerful than violence and hate. And how love and forgiveness in the end are the winners. And they will be leading, as Paul writes, the victory procession. And they will be out front in the parade. And finally, I'll say this. The cross is this message of transformation and hope. And it holds out the hope that lives can be transformed within. As early Quakers I mentioned, and Quakers today, they understand the cross. It is this inward transformation, this inward experience, this inward crucifixion that leads to this this inward experience of new life and resurrection that results in an outwardly transformed life. And it begins with disarming our own hearts in love. And let me talk a little bit about that, just with an example. I had this inward experience of the cross and crucifixion very early on in my pastoral ministry. I've often thought about that my first five years at Farmland Friends probably were a much better education than my four years in seminary. And I don't say that to degrade the seminary. It's a good education, but there's nothing like um, on-the-job training. And so I went to visit Lydia in the nursing home one day. She'd been there about a year. I'd been there about my first year. And I don't know why I was doing this ministry stuff, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I was restless. I was asking a lot of questions. In some ways, I was um, disillusioned that this stuff actually worked, that it had any effect on people. And Lydia couldn't talk. She just laid there in her bed in the nursing home. She couldn't respond to anything I would say. So I would go in and I would sit and I would just talk to her and I would maybe look at her and I didn't know what to do. And it seemed like one day I sat out of the car for about five or ten minutes like I can't do this anymore. Scott Wagner needs results. I don't see any results from this. So I took myself in there and I sat down beside her bed. And to this day, People talk about life verses. People talk about anchor verses. To this day, this verse stays with me. In those moments when I just feel like I can't do this anymore. It's that verse in Galatians chapter 20 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I heard that verse in that moment, in that day, as if Paul were in the room with me. I heard it deep in my heart, deep in my soul, and all of a sudden I realized this is not Scott Wagner here with Lydia. This is Christ. It's not a Messiah complex. What I realized, this is the living Christ present in me with this woman listening. So Scott, just shut up and be present and sit with her and let her lie in the presence of Christ. 
And what I realized in that moment that what had been disarmed in me was my ego. What had been disarmed in me was my pride. What had been disarmed in me was my arrogance. That I was there to make things happen. That I was there to get something done. When really I was only there to be the presence of Christ for this woman who could not interact with the rest of the world. This cross is a message of transformation and hope. It holds out the hope that our lives can be transformed. And it starts when it disarms our own hearts in love. The inward cross disarms us of our ego. It disarms us of our resentment and bitterness. It disarms us of the self-condemnation we often throw on ourselves. It it disarms us us of the self-rejection we tie ourselves up in. And often it will disarm us of our cynicism and our apathy. And then the cross disarms the world of its hate and its violence and its vengeance by telling it that ultimately its ways will not work. And ultimately its ways are not victorious. And the cross disarms all of that. And we disarm the world when we respond in love, in kindness. When we respond in civility and when we respond by speaking truth to power and advocating even for deeper justice but built on mercy and humility. This is the cross, the centrality of our life and the story. The story doesn't end there. That's the beauty of this season. It doesn't end there. It keeps on going. But in many ways, it has to begin there. Because I know that daily, there are things in my heart and soul that need to be disarmed so that I can keep showing up in love that I can keep showing up as the one who has been forgiven, and I can keep showing up as the one who can forgive and bring to this world a reconciling presence. So my question, just a simple question, as we take a few moments before we close, is what in your heart, what in your soul needs to be disarmed so you can live freely and lightly and in love? And maybe, just maybe, what in your heart needs to be forgiven. How do you need to hear the words from Jesus? Forgive him or her, for they know not what they've done, they know not what they will do, but just make sure they know that I love them.